Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and that is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For one man... From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history, and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him, and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they found out about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm David Kibble. I used to be a deputy head teacher of a high school in York, but I've retired, and I'm also a licensed lay minister in the Church of England. My aim this morning will be to examine the story of St. Paul in Athens and to see what light it might shed on how we should relate to people of other faiths in Leeds. If I was doing this as a radio programme or a television programme, I might actually start with what are known as vox pops. You know, little clips about what the man or the woman in the street has to say about this. Here are some vox pops I might use. About six months ago, um, I was in the Civic Hall uh, helping the Jewish community to celebrate Hanukkah, and they light the Hanukkah lights. There's a civic ceremony every year in the Civic Hall. And I was chatting to one Jewish leader, a lady from the um, a Jewish community in London, and I said that I was representing St. George's, whereupon she said to me, oh, well, she says, Christians, Jews, we're all the same, really, aren't we? A former student at St. George's said to me, Muslims, well, he says, they're all going to hell, aren't they? Because they don't believe in Jesus. Another member of St. George's congregation said to me recently, I can't believe that people who don't believe in Jesus are going to hell. It just flies in the face of the loving God that I know. And a current student from St. George's said to me, are we allowed to evangelize people of other faiths? Is that the right thing to do? As well as Vox Pops, I might also use some clips of a program featuring Adrian Childs, who you see on the screen there. He's a TV presenter, and in 2007, he became a Christian and joined the Roman Catholic Church. During Lent in 2015, he attended Mass every day, visiting 46 different churches. Now, because of his Christian beliefs, he fronted a television program in which he traveled around the Mediterranean. You'll see there, the background in, uh, for him is the Mediterranean somewhere. And he wanted to go around the Mediterranean and meet Jews and Muslims and Christians. He met with Muslims in France and Turkey who were very welcoming and reassured him that they worshipped the same God as he did. When he was in Israel, he met a Jewish family, went for a meal with them. He actually went for a Passover meal with them. And like the Muslims, they said to him, well, you know, we believe in the same God as you do. But when he was in Israel, he also met a group of Christians. And the Christians said, no, 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 only we worship the true God. Our Jewish and Muslim people that we have here, they don't worship God because they don't worship the true God at all. Who was right? Let's go back and look at St. Paul in Athens. St. Luke tells us that he walked around the city, and as he walked around, he became very distressed 
because he saw so many different temples to different gods. And in the way that St. Paul usually did, he started first by talking to people in the synagogue. Wherever Paul went, he, he was a Jew but he, who became a Christian, but he always started in the synagogue. And he used to quite often read a passage from the Old Testament and then expound it. So he probably visited the synagogue in Athens and he did, started debating with the people in the synagogue about all these different gods and statues and temples. He then carried on this debate outside the synagogue. He went and met some local Greeks in the nearby marketplace. And St. Luke says this wasn't a one-off. He did this over a number of days. Some in Athens prided themselves on being great philosophers. And so they started to debate with him. They didn't just listen, they debated with him. He talked with Stoics. They believed that there was no God, but there was a natural order in the world. He talked with Epicureans. They believed that there, was, uh, that there are a number of gods, but that they have no interest in what's going on in the world. Some of those listening obviously didn't quite understand what he was on about because they assumed that Paul was talking about two gods. They thought that there was a god called God and a god called Resurrection. And they said, ah, you worship two gods, God and Resurrection, or Anastasis, as it is in the Greek. The crowd who he'd been debating with then took him off to the Areopagus. You'll see on the screen there a painting. The original was a drawing by Raphael, and somebody else then came along and did a painting of it. And that is St. Paul at the Areopagus. <clears throat> and you'll see at the front here, on the right, there's two people who are quite enraptured about what he's talking about. And it's thought that they represent the two, two who became Christians, as St. Paul explains in the book of Acts, as Luke explains in the book of Acts. But then look at, look at the guy on the right. He's got a walking stick and he's nearly falling asleep. Now we're not exactly sure what the Areopagus was. The word can mean two things. First of all, it was a place in Athens where people used to meet and debate and talk and chat and discuss ideas. But originally, a local council or court also used to meet there. So it may be that St. Paul was actually taken to the Abraopagus, meaning he was taken before a court and then asked to justify what he was going on about. If he went to the place where he was asked to debate ideas, then that was just to the west of the Acropolis. If he appeared before the council or court, then that was somewhere to the north of the Acropolis. But in either case, he was asked to talk about his Christian faith. So let's look at what Paul said at the Areopagus. Like all good preachers, he began with a story. I see we had the Archbishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, here last week. Um, I've heard him on a few occasions 
give a talk or presentation or sermon. On all occasions I've heard, he begins with the same story. It's about a lady he met on Paddington Station. He was buying, and he tells us the name, he was buying a um, Cafe Nero coffee. He was in a queue for the coffee, and the lady behind him, because he had his dog collar, he said, oh, I see you're a vicar. Can you tell me why, why you're a vicar? What made you become a vicar? He said, I didn't have very long to talk to her, so I, I, I gave a quick answer, and I had to go off and get my train. So Paul talked at the beginning, he said how he'd been walking around the city of Athens and how he'd come across all these gods and statues and temples. But he said, I've noticed one, there's one, um, one temple that is a temple with an inscription, it has an altar in the temple with an inscription and the inscription says, to the unknown God. Now, Paul had been distressed at seeing so many different gods represented in Athens. But he said, now this unknown God that you, have, you say has no name, actually, that is the God I worship. So let me tell you about him. And Paul went on to talk about the Christian God, how he created the world, created people, sent Jesus. Jesus had died, rose again. So he took an aspect of local religion, the unknown God, and said that this was his religion too. Except that what they called the unknown God, he said, that's the God I worship, the father of Jesus. He cleverly made a link between his Christian faith and an element of local religious belief. And we learn that as a result of his preaching, a number of people became Christians. First then, note that St. Paul was critical of much of what went for religion in Athens. As he passed these statues, he didn't say, oh well, we all worship the same God, don't we? He made a judgment. He judged that most of the gods in Athens did not represent the God that he worshipped. There are similar judgments made in the Old Testament. Many of you will have read of the prophets when they tell the Jews, you are, you are wrong in worshipping these idol gods, these Baal gods. Again and again, they, they, the prophets criticise Jews who turn to the wrong gods. There was Baal, a Canaanite god, who was associated with sacred prostitution. And their priests would sometimes get into a frenzy and cut themselves with knives. Then there was Chamosh, and Chamosh demanded the sacrifice of children. And then there was another god, Molech, and he too demanded the sacrifice of children. But secondly then, St. Paul's judgment was that he could see parallels between the god that he knew and this unknown God of the Athenians. Let me tell you about Ahmed. Ahmed was a student I taught in, uh, in York. I was an RE teacher. And in my classroom at the back, I had a big picture of what is known as the Kaaba in Mecca. That's the holy place where Muslims 
go on pilgrimage. And as he was leaving the classroom, it was an Easter holiday coming up, he said to me, oh, I'm going there, I'm going there next week. He said, I'm going to Mecca, I'm going there with my family, and uh, off he went. I thought no more about it. <clears throat> now, Ahmed was, um, he was a nice lad, but he, he got in with the wrong crew. He got in with a load of lads who were rather lazy, had no interest in school, were not that polite, um, wasn't doing very well at school. 18 months later, when he was in year 11, when he was 16, I heard a conversation in the staff room between a couple of teachers. And the teachers were saying how Ahmed had changed, <coughs> how he'd become a better person. And one of the teachers said, oh, he says it's because he went to Mecca. So my ears pricked up and I thought, I need, I need a conversation with Ahmed. So I managed, in my role as deputy head, I managed to get him out of a lesson. Um, and we had an hour together talking about his visit to Mecca. And I said, um, what happened in Mecca then? Oh, he said, when I was going around the car bar, I felt God was speaking to me. And he was saying, look, you're not being a very good Muslim. You need to do better than this. And he said, I, I felt that this was God saying it, so I said, I'm going to do it then. And he said, yes, I have changed. My character has changed. And he said, actually, one of the guys I went with was, was into drugs. He went to Mecca, and as a result, he felt God was saying to him, come off drugs. So he did. Did the God I know speak to Ahmed? I would say he did. St. Paul says in Romans 2 that God can speak to anybody through their conscience, not just Christians. So I would say that the Muslims I know in Leeds worship the same God as I do, but they perceive him differently. I see God in the person of Jesus. And I think that's the right way. They would say, no, we see God in the Quran. If you took me to some places in the world, then I would say that the Muslims I would meet there would not be worshipping the God that I know. If I went to somewhere dominated by Islamic State or Al-Qaeda or the Taliban, or God has perceived in some areas of Pakistan, I would say, no, that's not the God that I understand and know. And some of our Farsi members here will tell you that the God they've come to know at St. George's is different from the God they knew or perceived when they were in Iran. Like St. Paul, we need to make a judgment. So, are we then, in the words of the Jewish lady I met in the civic hall, all the same? No, we're not. I said that I believe that I see God in and through the person of Jesus. She would disagree with that. Neither do I believe that Muhammad is a prophet in the way that Muslims do. Let's not pretend we're all the same, because we're not. 
To pretend that we are is to deny some of the fundamental beliefs of our faith and also the beliefs of the others who we may be talking to. There is only one creator God. I remember a few years ago, I invited Sam Corley. If you remember, he was, he was the, uh, vicar of the of vicar of Leeds in the Minster. I invited him to address a group of Jews, Muslims, and Christians on the subject, do we all worship the same God? It didn't really matter what he said, because we were all going to discuss it in little groups. But I said, you know, would you like to kick us off? And he did, and he said, right, now you all want to know what I think. Do we all worship the same God? Yes, we do. And then we carried on, and then we had our discussion. Let me take you now to Abu Dhabi. The year is 2019. Pope Francis was the first pope to visit the country. He was met by the country's president, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, and its prime minister, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid. And when he was there, he met Muslim and Christian leaders, and for the first time ever, he held, or there was held in the Emirates, an open-air mass. There were 140,000 Christians attending. The Emirates is, yes, it's a mainly Muslim country, but it has lots of expat workers. Can we have the mass? There it is. Um, can we have the, the expat workers who are Indian, Malaysian, Singaporean, whatever? So there were 140,000 people at that mass. First time there'd been anything like it in Abu Dhabi. During his stay, he met a Muslim leader called Ahmed al-Tayeb. Now he's the grand imam of what is known as al-Hazhar in Cairo, which is a Muslim uh, institution that serves as a university. It's a great place of Muslim learning. And when, he, when the Pope met Ahmed al-Tayeb, they signed a document. They signed an agreement. You can see it was done in the open air because the Pope's got his thing coming up, wind blowing it. The document said that Christians and Muslims worship the same God and that Christians and Muslims should work together on social and ethical issues. As I said, I believe that Muslims and Christians worship the same God, although we, we perceive him differently. This is why I've worked on projects with a local imam, Kari Asim. Kari Asim is the imam of the Makkah Mosque in Headingley, and he's one of Britain's foremost Muslim leaders. In, I had the discussion, in, in the days of Islamic State, or as he says to me, you mustn't say Islamic State, you must say so-called Islamic State, because they're not Muslims. Um, he said, I went to him, we had a conversation, and we agreed that we should put on an event in the church centre where we had Muslims, Christians and Jews together, all saying no to violence in the name of faith. It took us nearly a year to do it, but we ended up with about 80 or more people from the three faiths down in the church centre saying no to uh, violence in the name of faith. I remember Jonathan Clark, our previous vicar or rector, he said to me, 
He says, I've got, I've got an idea for you. He says, I've got this vision of Christians, Jews, and Muslims in the church center. And they're not all facing the front, listening to people yakking at them. He said, they're all sat around tables, and they're discussing things together. And that is what we did. We've also written together on climate change and on Brexit. Recently, we wrote on the need for young people in Israel and Palestine to learn better about one another. At the moment, children in Palestine, for example, don't know about the Holocaust. Jews, Jewish children in Israel don't know much about how uh, Muslims feel, Palestinians feel, about the fact that Israel came and into their land. So we wrote and we said we want both sides to have better knowledge of the other. I also worked with him on doing a workshop at Edinburgh University. And there we are in New College. That's my old college. The statue is um, John Knox. Now, I know that John Knox didn't like Muslims. So I was cheeky, and I said to Zoe, I'd like to take this photograph. Would you mind? So there we are, the two of us, standing in front of um, John Knox. A lot of tourists come into New College... And sometimes they come in and they say, ooh, look, it's Dumbledore. <laughs> because, of course, Edinburgh is... that There are links between Harry Potter and Edinburgh. How do we sum up? St Paul was visiting Athens. He was confronted by a variety of faiths and temples. He used his judgment... He rejected many of their beliefs, their temples, and their worship. But he came across one religion where he could see parallels between his own Christian faith and other ones. And he used that positive relationship to share his own distinctive Christian beliefs. And he did this because he was invited to do so. As Christians living in a multiracial, multireligious, multicultural city... We shouldn't be afraid to engage with people of other faiths. This is why a number of families at St George's are involved in putting on uh, interfaith meals for students. We do it twice a year. It's great fun. The students enjoy it, and the hosts enjoy it as much as the students. Can we have the next one, Dan? That's it. Thank you. Those are some students we had at our place. So we should have no hesitation in talking to people of other faiths about our own faith. <clears throat> some years ago, I used to work quite closely with a particular Jew in Leeds who was very pro-Israel, um, he was a Zionist pro-Israel, and we used to have debates about Israel-Palestine. And one day he said to me, you're always saying that the Israelis should take the initiative in peacemaking. I say the Palestinians should take the initiative because they're the ones who sent suicide bombers into us. Why do you say the Jewish Israelis should take the initiative? And I said, oh, that's a big question. You better come round for a cup of tea. So he came round for a cup of tea and I did my explanation. And I said, look, as a Jew, you believe that in the, story, in the stories in the Bible, God took the initiative 
and introduced himself to Abraham. And he was the father of the Jewish people. You believe that God took the initiative and freed the Jews from Egypt and slavery. You believe that God sent the prophets to tell Israel when it was, tell the Jews when they were going off the line with regard to their faith. You believe that God took the initiative and got them out of um, captivity in Babylon. And I said, as a Christian, I believe that God took the initiative and sent Jesus to us. Now I said, also as a Christian, my ethics, the way I think, tells me that we have to take the initiative in the same way that God takes the initiative with us. So I say to you, as a member of the Jewish faith, that I think if you are to be true to your faith, you should be taking the initiative. Ooh, he said, that's an interesting one. I've never heard that before. At the start of COVID, I had a a bit of an email conversation with uh, a Jewish student uh, who we got to know in Leeds. He graduated, graduated in geography. Um, He was a very, um, how do we say, a very devout member of the Jewish faith. And he decided that at the end of his degree, he was going off to Israel to study in a Jewish religion school or a yeshiva. And I've forgotten exactly why we got in contact, but we ended up having a conversation about what, our, what we felt our faith was saying about why God had allowed COVID. I've had a Muslim student who we knew here in Leeds who's been down to Lighthouse, which I have to say he really, really enjoyed. I have another Muslim student, former student, waiting in the wings. He's waited to come to an 1830 service. So we should have no hesitation in sharing our faith and our ideas with them. This sermon series is called Transforming the City. How will meeting and talking with people of other faiths do this? Firstly, It'll help us to understand the faith of others and it'll help them to understand our faith. You'll remember two or three weeks ago, Josh stood up here and said, what we need to do is to understand the people in our city and speak their language. So we we need to listen to those who have a different faith to us. I spent a lot of time with some of my Jewish colleagues listening to how Jews see things and how they feel. And some of us in St George's have carried on that by going to Auschwitz with some of the Jewish community. It enabled us to hear what they felt like um, visiting Auschwitz and what they feel like being a Jew. Secondly, it will break down barriers. Another of my Jewish students, we were sat in uh, Costa Coffee in Headingley Jews, a couple of Jews, Christians and Muslims around the coffee table drinking coffee and she said to us oh she said the trouble with us Jewish students we all live in a faith bubble and the Muslim student said hmm I think we do that a bit too and then of course the Christian said well yeah we Christians live in a bit of a faith bubble too um, that was the reason by the way why we started up interfaith student meals help break the bubble so Getting to know other people of other faiths will help break down the barriers. 
And thirdly, it will help people of different faiths, colours and races to build a city, Leeds, that is a city of all of us together and not a city that is one of us and them. And in these three ways, the church is helping to meet one of its four objectives, serving the city. Thank you for listening to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.